Welcome to Not A Christian Podcast. It's not a Christian podcast. It's a podcast that just happens to be Christian. In this podcast, we tell stories, we talk about life, faith, and pretty much anything else you can imagine. Now let's jump into it. Welcome back to the show. It's Not a Christian Podcast, episode 35, right here on Friday, June 11th. I am hanging out in San Angelo this weekend. In fact, that's where I'm recording this episode. This past week, I went to a preteen camp as a sponsor, not as a camper, as a sponsor with my old church that I used to work at that's just right outside of San Angelo. So I'm recording this episode at my friend Jacob's house. So if it sounds a little different than usual, it's probably because the acoustics in this room are a little bit different. So shout out to Jacob. Thanks for letting me stay here for the weekend. And if you're in San Angelo this weekend, just hit me up. Let me know. We'll hang out. We'll go eat a breakfast burrito together or something. I don't know. (laughs) But it's good to be here. But if you do see me around at some point, I need to explain, okay? Uh, Like I said, I went as a preteen camp sponsor uh, with my former church to their camp. And the way the camp does paintball is because it's like third through sixth graders. They don't let them, when they do paintball, they don't let them shoot each other. And for good reason, because there would be a lot of tears. And nobody wants to deal with crying children who think they can get out there on the paintball course. And then once they get shot, start crying. They don't let them do that till they're like teenagers in youth camp. But anyway, so what they do is they set up like this target range. There's like these wooden targets. There's like these paint can lids and whatnot that they set up for the kids to shoot at. But the sponsors, since we're adults, if we choose to, we can go out on the paintball course and and let the kids shoot us. And of course, it's not really something I want to do, but it, it back when I was the youth and children's minister at that church, 2017 was the first time we went. You know, I did it. And of course, the kids, every single year that I did it afterwards, and this year, even though I wasn't their youth minister, I was the sponsor and they wanted me to go out there and get shot. So of course, I did it for the kids. I went out there and got shot. You know, there's stuff for you to hide behind, but you know, you got to make it fun for the kids. You got to run out every now and again, run across the course and let them shoot you. And I can just tell you that those kids lit me up. I was pelted with paintballs. I have multiple bruises all over my body. And the thing I need to explain is, is there's very, there's one very questionable bruise on me. I got shot in the neck and you know, it hurt. It was, it was definitely the most painful shot that, you know, I got hit in the legs, I got hit in the back, got hit in the butt a couple times. But for sure, the one that hit me in the neck was the one that hurt the most, like right on the left side of my neck. And I'm thinking like, okay, it's it's going to be a, a decent bruise there. So, you know, I go about, the kids are like, oh my gosh, you got a bruise on your neck. Yeah, I know. And then when we went back to the cabin, there was this bruise, like I said, on my neck. And y'all, it looks like I have a hickey. It looks like I went to preteen camp as a sponsor and I came home with a hickey. But I promise you, it's just, from, it's a paintball bruise. So I, I know what it looks like, but that's not what it was. I did not go to preteen camp and come back with a hickey on my neck. I've got a multitude of other bruises all over my body to prove that I was pelted with paintballs. <laughs> it's not a hickey. It's not. <laughs> but hey, some other exciting, well, not so exciting news, but yeah, let me just tell the story. Okay, so last weekend, 
Uh, and you, if you've been here before, which I assume most of you have, it's probably not your first time listening to the show, but if you've been here before, you know my obsession with Matt Carney. You know, he just, I did a top 10 song before he released his new album a couple weeks ago. He released his new album and it was great. I raved about it on the show. I've talked about him like a million episodes in a row now. But anyway, last weekend he did a little Instagram live where he played some new songs from his record, where he answered some questions about the record. And if you don't know how an Instagram live works, it's like his video that pops up on everybody's screen that chooses to tune in and you can type like a comment or a question. So anyway, you know, we were, we were going along he was playing some music and then he pauses for a minute and he's just staring at the screen and he's like hey sorry guys i'm just reading some comments i, I want to know what you guys think about the new record so i was like hey this is this is our chance this is not a christian podcast's chance to get on matt carney's radar because you know i've tagged him and stuff before i don't know if he's ever seen it he's never liked it or anything he has liked some of my personal stuff in the past uh but anyway on, on the Instagram live, he's playing songs, he's reading comments. So I'm like, oh, this is our chance to, to get on his radar. So I type in the comments. I say, I've raved about your new album on my podcast. And I was, I was on the Not A Christian Podcast Instagram account, of course. I said, I've raved about your new album on my podcast. Want to be a guest? And then I did a little laughing, crying face emoji. And I was not an emoji guy until like probably a year ago. But they have, they have helped me tremendously because usually when I text, I'm worried that I, I'm coming across like a jerk if I'm trying to be sarcastic. Uh, but emojis have done a lot for me. But anyway, so I, I typed that. I've raved about your album on my podcast. Want to be a guest? Laughing face emoji. So he goes through. He's reading some of the comments. And then I see, hear him pause for a minute. And he says, well, thank you for talking about me on your podcast. So I was like, oh my gosh, he read the comment. Now he's going to either accept or decline the invitation. But what he did next is he just ignored the second part of the question. He answered the first part of the question. He said, yeah, thank you for talking about me on your podcast. But he did not even acknowledge that I invited him to be a guest on the show. So, and I know, so I've done, I've done the survey, you know, and several of you guys have filled it out. The not a Christian podcast friend of the show survey, by the way, if you haven't filled that out, uh, go ahead and go to the link in my bio on social media and go to the not a Christian podcast friend of the show survey and fill that out. It would help me determine like the direction of the show and what we're going to do in the near and distant future. But anyway, several of you, or a couple of you, shouldn't say several, a couple of you on that said like, hey, you should work on getting Matt Carney as a guest. And believe me, <laughs> you don't have to tell me twice. So that was the first effort to do that. And uh, it, it, he didn't even acknowledge the fact that I invited him. But the invitation has been sent out and it has been received. It is confirmed. Because he said it on Instagram Live. He, and, you know, does it does it hurt just a little bit that he didn't even acknowledge the second part of the question? Yeah, it does. I, I extended the invitation and he acknowledged it like, oh, that's cute. Uh, but no, he basically rejected me. And, and it stings a little bit. It stings. But I didn't expect much to happen. It's kind of like whenever you, I don't know, there's like a girl that's out of your league and you just decide to shoot your shot. She's out of your league. You know it. She knows it. Everybody knows it, but you shoot your shot anyways. There's an acknowledgement of like, hey, I'm interested in this. That's how it was with Matt Carney and the, the invitation to the show. He acknowledged like, hey, yeah, I see you are interested, but then he just ignored it. So it's like, you ask the girl out, you shoot your shot. She's kind about it. She's polite. She's nice. And she says, no, at the end of the day, you don't blame her because like you, like you acknowledged previously, she's out of your league. There's no way it would ever happen. But rejection is rejection and it always hurts. 
<laughs> that's what I experienced this. Oh, I'm not speaking from personal experience or anything. This is all just, you know, purely hypothetical. But hey, uh, we got a good show for you today. Just to give you a little roadmap of where we're going. Uh, of course, this is our summer series, so we're continuing talking about eschatology. Uh, so last week we talked about premillennialism, the kind of two camps within that. And this week we are talking about postmillennialism. Should be a good conversation. Uh, so if you haven't listened to last week's episode, go ahead and go back and listen to that so you'll know kind of where we're going with this eschatology slash end times series. And then to end the show, we've got another edition of Keep It or Can It, and we're going to be talking about trashy foods this week. Going to be a good time. You don't want to miss any of it. Let's go ahead and jump in. All right, here we are. We're back. Eschatology series part two. And if you don't remember, like I said, if you if you have not listened to last week's episode, uh, I would encourage you to do that or at least just skip over to the eschatology series uh, because we're kind of building on that. We're kind of continuing in on that. So eschatology, uh, the Greek word eschatos is Greek for last. So eschatology is the study of the last things or the last days. What is it going to look like when this act of the play, this age of of us being on earth and the church what's it going to look like when that comes to an end and as we talked about last week there are kind of three main views four if you split one of them into two different things we talked about it last week just just go listen to the show if you haven't already it'll make more sense so we've got historic premillennialism and dispensational premillennialism which we talked about last week we've got amillennialism which we will talk about next week but this week we have postmillennialism not post millennialism that's a completely different thing but all these things have the word millennium in common and the millennium is talking about the the reign of jesus on earth as referred to in revelation chapter 20 verse 6 it refers to this time when jesus will reign for 1000 years and as we talked about last week the premillennial position on that jesus will come back before the 1000 year reign hence the pre and he will bring an end to all things at that time the millennium is typically according to a premillennial view a 1000 year reign and today we're talking about postmillennialism which is saying that Christ is going to return at the end of the millennium so Christ will return at the end of a long period of blessing on earth he will come after the millennium uh, the millennium isn't necessarily a literal 1,000 years, but will begin at a point in history sometime after the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to jump into all that and more here in a minute. But first, let me just remind you, just because I'm talking about on the show last week, this week, next week, doesn't mean these are the positions that I believe. In fact, two of the positions that I'm talking about over these three episodes, uh, I don't believe in. But at the end, I will come together, or I'll bring it all together, I suppose, and I'll wrap it up, and I'll tell you why, what I believe and why I think it matters. So, all that being said, post-millennialism. So we talked about last week, premillennialism is kind of this really literal interpretation of Scripture, particularly that Scripture in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, uh, and, and premillennialism is kind of a very literal interpretation of that, as though those verses give a very literal roadmap of what the end times are going to look like. Postmillennials have a less wooden or a less literal interpretation of Scripture, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. That doesn't mean that postmillennials do not take Scripture seriously or, uh, or as true. In fact, in fact, you really can't take every word of Scripture literally. 
And before you click away, before you turn the show off after me saying that, let me explain what I mean. In this context, we're talking about the millennium in Revelation chapter 20. Is it a literal 1,000 years, or is it a figurative length of time that just means a really long time? Another question in scripture, we, we, when we talk about literal versus figurative, was creation literally in seven days? Another question, was Jonah a real person who was swallowed by a real fish? When Jesus comes back, as prescribed in Revelation chapter 19, is there a literal sword coming out of his mouth? When the disciples took communion, Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood. Was he really trying to say that in a literal sense? When Jesus said, I am the true vine in John chapter 15, if Jesus were literally a true vine, you would wonder, well, where are the leaves? Where are the fruits coming off of his body? So the question is, which parts of the Bible do we read literally? And if something is not literal, what does that mean? And I don't think it necessarily means that it's not true. In fact, postmillennialism is the position that many Reformed people take. And I'm not Reformed in the Calvinistic sense, but I do respect the manner in which those people treat Scripture with a great amount of reverence and respect. But really the way a postmillennial person would say we interpret Scripture is that we interpret it the way it should be taken. Not that everything is a literal roadmap or literally true. However, that the, the Bible was written in allegory and poetry and in the context of Revelation, it's an apocalyptic writing, which apocalyptic doesn't necessarily mean what we think, think it to mean, which is like this uh, end times, destruction, everything's coming to a close. However, the word apocalyptic basically means unveiling. There is a truth behind the scene that the book of Revelation sets. Revelation is an apocalyptic piece of literature. And we've kind of hijacked that term and saying like, hey, that means the word apocalyptic means it, it, it's pertaining to end times. But really the, the intent behind the book of Revelation was to unveil truth behind things. So someone who is post-millennial will look at prophecy in a particular way. Uh, like we talked about last week, a premillennial will probably say that most prophecy in the Bible hasn't happened yet. And these things, this roadmap of things is going to have to happen in our world, in our future, in order for you know the, the end times to come about, in order for the return of Christ to come about. The postmillennial position will state something like this, that the prophecies in the book of Revelation were prophesied by John and occur soon after. And today, in hindsight, as we look back, those prophecies have largely been fulfilled. They're part of the past for us, but they were in the future for John at the time of the writing of the book of Revelation. So, for example, the seven heads of the beast referred to in Revelation 17 talk about seven Roman emperors in John's day in the first century. And they're not necessarily prophecy for us, but they were prophecy for the first century readers. And of course, a post-millennial will affirm that Jesus is going to return after the millennium. So you, you might ask, you know, well, if, if there's this millennial reign of Jesus, shouldn't Jesus be present for it? And I guess the answer is, yes, he'll be present for it, but it'll be more in a spiritual sense, I suppose. But then he will literally come back. A post-millennial view is very optimistic regarding the future of the world. A postmillennial will say, before the world comes to a conclusion, the Great Commission will be fulfilled, and many nations will turn to Jesus, and then he will return to judge the living 
and the dead. And while, and if you may remember last week, a premillennial would probably say the opposite, say that the world will spiral out of control, there will be wars, rumors of wars, a lot of bad things will happen before Jesus comes back. So, so you may ask, you know, where does that hope come from? Because we, we look at the world around us and we, we don't really necessarily see that. Well, there's several verses that I'll give you here. Genesis 12:3 says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Psalm 22:27 says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Psalm 67:7 says this, God shall bless us, let all the ends of the earth fear him. Psalm 72:8 he shall have dominion also from sea to sea and over the river unto the ends of the earth. Psalm 110 is the most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament. And Psalm 110.1 says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Isaiah 11.9 says, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. John 3.17 for God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. John twelve thirty two, And when I, these are the words of Jesus, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, shall draw all people to myself. And finally, Galatians 3, 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations will be blessed. So what is post-millennialism. Well, they, they interpret the 1,000-year millennial reign of Jesus often to be metaphorical. Jesus will not be a literal king on an earthly throne at the time, like the premillennials would say, but he will reign spiritually through his church, and that is the time when the Great Commission will be fulfilled on earth. And there will be a golden age of Christianity, and the church will prosper and dominate culturally throughout most of the world. The millennial reign of Jesus will be a long period of time in which this is happening. And the world will continue to improve and look more like the image of Christ and the kingdom of God. And before the return of Jesus, all enemies will be defeated except for one final enemy, which 1 Corinthians 15.26 says the last enemy will be death itself, and Jesus will come back to do that himself. And when Jesus comes back at the end of the millennium, there's going to be a one-time resurrection of the righteous and the wicked and one final judgment of all living and dead people. So, so a big kind of hole, I guess, that a lot of people see in, in the post-millennial time frame is that, no, the Bible says that when, when the end comes, it's going to be chaotic. It's going to be horrible. So a post-millennial person would say, okay, the end times, well, what is that referring to? The end of what? And this is something I actually didn't know until I began researching for this episode specifically. Postmillennials view the last days not even necessarily as the last days of this earth, the last days of the cosmos, or the last days of the, the, the way that God created things, but they view the last days as the last days of the Judaic period, the, the, the time in which God revealed himself through the law and prophets, and that era ended in 70 AD with the destruction of the temple. And then, of course, the Christian period or the church period started in 30 AD, so there was an overlap of about 40 years, and that was a time of passing the baton. So, so a post-millennial oftentimes would say, no, when the Bible is referring to end times, it's referring to the end of the Judaic period, the end of the law and the prophets. So the last days of Jerusalem. 
the last days of the Judaic period, the last days of the Old Covenant. Uh, a a post-millennial would point to the destruction of the temple and the persecution of the early church in order to, to affirm their position. And a post-millennial may also point to John 3, 16 and 17. You know, for God so loved the world so that whoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 17, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that all the world might be saved through him. So a post-millennial would say like, yeah, we have reason for optimism for the world because Jesus died for the world. And while things may be looking bad now, that doesn't mean they're always going to be that way. A lot of evangelicals will kind of, you know, they'll affirm the truth of John 3.17, but in practice they'll say like, oh yeah, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. But but a post-millennial would, would argue that that God isn't coming to condemn the world. Jesus isn't coming to condemn, to condemn the world. Jesus loves the world and he wants to redeem it. So, of course, that, that still doesn't answer the, the realities all around us of, you know, a post-millennial says like, hey, the world is, is getting better or the world's going to get better, but is there any reason for us to believe that it actually will? Because if we look right now, there are a lot of Christian martyrs in the world. Tensions are high in the Middle East. There's political division everywhere. So why do we have, why can we have so much hope? And to that, a post-millennial would say that we would have to zoom out and see the bigger picture. So look at things like science and medicine, as opposed to where we were 100 years ago, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago. People are living way longer. People are, are coming up with cures for diseases that at one point wiped out people. And now, you know, look at, look at polio. Less than a century ago, that was killing people. It was debilitating people. And now polio pretty much isn't even a problem anymore. So science and medicine are advancing. So the, the, the world is getting better in that way. Look at civil rights. There were places, even in the United States, 100 years ago, there were people who were horribly treated. There were people who didn't have basic human rights. But over the past few decades, people have gotten more rights in the United States and across the world. Life expectancy across the world is, is, is on the rise. Things are becoming better. So if you had a choice, would you rather be alive today or 100 years ago or 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago? The, the truth is most of us would probably choose today because science and medicine and civil rights and life expectancy are all at a much better place than they were not all that long ago. There was a time when, when every day was a battle of life and death. Where is our food coming from? Where are we going to get shelter? Are we going to be attacked by an enemy? Uh, but but the, the civilized world has kind of taken out a lot of those questions. And the bulk of the world lived in poverty 500 years ago, but that's not necessarily the case today. In the past few decades, many people have been lifted out of poverty. And if you look at Christianity across the globe, in South America, there is a huge increase in people who are following Jesus. Africa is turning from Islam toward Jesus. China is rapidly becoming a Christian nation so fast that their government doesn't really know what to do about it. Iran and Nepal are among the fastest growing Christian nations in the world. So the gospel is reaching the unreached and it's loosing the grips of Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism that have held on to them for so long. Christians are being persecuted, but the Bible says to live is Christ and to die is gain. Death does not mean the defeat of God. It doesn't mean the defeat of Jesus or Christianity. In fact, Jesus died on a cross, but then he rose again to conquer death, and he will finally and fully defeat death at his return. 
So while some will argue that, hey, no, the world is going to a bad place because of the rise in things like, you know, homosexual practices, abortion, gender identity, political division in America, the post-millennial view will say that overall, you know, we're not looking in the right places. And from, from the area of, you know, science, medicine, civil rights, life expectancy, we're actually getting better. And, and to, to say that just because the United States is going through these growing pains, I guess, of, of morality issues that they don't agree with, that doesn't mean the whole world as a whole isn't kind of coming towards this place. So the post-millennials will say that, that that is what has to happen in order for Jesus to return. And just because Christianity isn't on the rise in America doesn't mean it isn't anywhere else. In fact, like I said, there are a lot of places where Jesus' name is becoming known and becoming loved. So America is not at the forefront of God's plan, according to someone who is post-millennial, as opposed to someone who's pre-millennial who might just see the things going on in our nation and say, yes, these are signs of the times. So, so the biggest difference, I guess, between post-millennial and pre-millennial is obviously, well, the, uh, yeah, the big difference is, you know, when Jesus returns. But, but once again, pre-millennial will lean more towards a literal view of Scripture. Uh, post-millennials will lean more towards a symbolic view of Scripture. And also, how do we view prophecy? Pre-millennials will say that most of the prophecy hasn't been fulfilled yet, while a post-millennial will read particularly the book of Revelation and maybe, you know, Daniel and say, yes, a lot of these prophecies have already been fulfilled. So that's post-millennialism in a nutshell. I uh, hope you learned something. Next week, next week we'll talk about amillennialism, and I think that'll be a fun conversation to have. But for now, let's go ahead and transition to the next segment. All right, you guys, it's time for another edition of Keep It or Can It. And if you've been here before, you know how it works. We give you something in a category and you decide if we want to keep that thing or can it. So we did it with Christmas traditions where we decided to keep or can things like candy canes, Christmas caroling, etc. We did it with holidays a few months back where we decided, you know, maybe maybe some of these holidays, you know, we don't need them quite as much as we need other ones. So we chose to keep them or can them. Well, this week we're talking about trashy foods. Trashy foods, I consider, are foods that, you know, a lot of people may like, a lot of people may hate, but people feel very strongly about them. And we know they're probably not good for us. We know we probably shouldn't eat too much of them, but they're near and dear to our hearts anyways. So what I did was I posted these on my Facebook and Instagram stories, and you guys voted. If you wanted to keep the food, you said, we'll keep it. If you don't like the food, you said, can it. So I'm going to go through, I'm going to let you know how you guys voted, going to let you know what the official Not A Christian Podcast verdict or position is. So let's go ahead and jump into it. We came out of the gates hot, okay? So the first food we talked about was bologna. And you guys chose to can it. 68% of you said to can bologna, you don't need it, get rid of it. And I, I, I most certainly agree with you. Bologna is the most disgusting thing on this list today. Like I said, we came out of the gates hot. We weren't holding back. 68% of you said can it. I said can it. And I thought it was really interesting. I didn't do this for every single one, but I could see here that Facebook was a lot more favorable towards bologna than Instagram. And I think bologna is kind of an old person thing because most of the people I know that eat it tend to be, you know, age 40 and up. Maybe they grew up with it and they didn't know any better, but hey, we've got better stuff than this out here now. We don't need to eat bologna. It's disgusting. I'm not really a texture guy when it comes to food, so I'll never say like, oh, I can't eat that because of the texture, but bologna texture is disgusting. I hate it. We're canning it. 
Next up on the list, I, I kind of largely stayed away in this segment from like specific food items from like specific fast food places, but this one was suggested by my friend Warren, and you know, I, I just, I had to put it on here because it's such a unique item. It's jack-in-the-box tacos. Maybe some of you have never had a jack-in-the-box taco. Uh, I can just tell you that it's nothing like a regular taco. You wouldn't say like, hey, I'm craving tacos, therefore I'm going to go to jack-in-the-box and get tacos. No, a jack-in-the-box taco is kind of its own thing. It's got like a, I don't even know if it's like a soft or crunchy, but it's like a corn tortilla. And the outside of it where there's no meat is crunchy, but the the interior where the meat is, like the, the grease just soaks into the tortilla, makes it super soft. And it's just it's just its own unique thing. I love jack-in-the-box tacos. I chose to keep it, but 61% of you said to can it, which I think is a shame. Uh, because jack-in-the-box tacos are excellent. So Warren, I know you love them too. I love them. But the voters decided, 61% of them at least, to can it. So we're canning jack-in-the-box tacos. Next up on the list, boxed mac and cheese. 81% of you guys said to keep boxed mac and cheese, which means 19% of you said to can it. And if I have an opinion on boxed mac and cheese, guys, to be honest, I think it's overrated. I think a homemade mac and cheese is good. Or if you're going to do sides, just do something better than, than a boxed mac and cheese. I don't love it, so I'm going to choose to can it, even though 81% of you said that you wanted to keep it. Moving on to the next item on the list, we're sticking to the cheese theme, spray cheese. You all know it. Do you all love it, or do you all hate it? So spray cheese, if, if, if you've never had it, it's basically like this weird, it, it's not cheese, okay? Because you get it in the grocery store, it's not in the refrigerated section. It's like next to like the Ritz crackers. And, and it's interesting. You know, it's just this spray cheese in a can. Not like an aerosol can, like a, like, you know, sunscreen or bug spray, but like an aerosol, like a whipped cream can. That's that's what I'm looking for. It's like a whipped cream can. And you, you put it on your crackers or whatever. And so spray cheese in in my house growing up, it was like a twice a year kind of thing. For whatever reason, we didn't get it often, but when we got it, Oh, those were a good couple days in our household. <laughs> but but 64% of you don't agree. 64% of you said to can it. And of course, the Not A Christian Podcast stance is to keep it, but you guys chose to can it. For nostalgic reasons, I chose to keep it. But, but spray cheese is one of those things where it's like, I could not ever have it again and be completely okay. But just for nostalgic purposes, I'm going to choose to go ahead and keep it. Next up on the list, we've got Hot Pockets, and 71% of you said you wanted to keep Hot Pockets. I'm choosing to can it. Y'all, Hot Pockets are gross, okay? First of all, the the quality has declined over the years. I remember Hot Pockets used to be decent. When I was like a kid or a teenager, I would eat them every now and again, enjoy them, but now like the crust is like this really weird, flaky, hard thing, and the, the thing about a Hot Pocket, I've never had one that that would cook well. Whether you do it in the mic, can you do it in the oven? I know you do it in the microwave, but it seems like it would always be like still frozen in the middle. However, there would still be some parts of like the insides that were scalding hot and the outside would be like burned to the point where it was crunchy. Uh, I've, I've never had a hot pocket that was cooked well. So so how can, how can we choose to keep that? Uh, I've, I've never had a good one. So I'm choosing to can it, but you guys chose to keep it. Next up on the list, gas station coffee. Gas station coffee has a very special place in my heart. 54% of you chose to can it. So y'all, you guys are getting rid of gas station coffee if it's up to you. 
But gas station coffee has a very special place in my heart. There was a time of my life whenever I taste gas station coffee, like all the memories just come rushing back. That's a time when I was in like grad school. I was doing part-time youth ministry. I was doing a lot of like weird hours. So I'd like commute to school early in the morning and I would stop and get, and that was also when I, you know, when I first got into coffee and I didn't know what good coffee was. I didn't know what bad coffee was. So I would just drink gas station coffee thinking it was like, oh, this is what everybody likes. And you know, it grew on me. So sometimes I'll go to a coffee shop and get like a pour over and I'm just kind of like, I'm missing that gas station coffee, you know? <laughs> it's it's just, I don't know, it just it just hits different. It's it's trashy, but but it's good. So like for nostalgic reasons, I'm choosing to keep gas station coffee. There was there was an era of my life that was defined partially by gas station coffee. I just can't get rid of it. I'm choosing to keep it. You guys are choosing to can it. So so far, we've we've disagreed a lot, but hey, on this next one, we agreed. Corn dogs. Um, plain and simple, corn dogs are good. You know, 77% of you chose to keep it. I'm choosing to keep corn dogs as well. And here's the thing about corn dogs. It's probably the most reliable food out there. You're not, you're not going after a corn dog if you want a gourmet meal, if you want something healthy, if you want something that's going to be like the best meal you've ever had. That's not what you're going for, but they're very consistent. The difference between the best corn dog and the worst corn dog I've ever had is minimal. I've never had a bad corn dog. I've never had a corn dog that like is gonna make me ride home. Never had one that that you know was super memorable. But corn dogs, man, super consistent. I see that you guys see it. So we're both choosing to keep it. Next up on the list, this was the one the the most emphatic decision that you guys had: pizza rolls. Eighty-five percent of you said to keep pizza rolls, the the most wanted item on this list. But I'm going against the grain here because pizza rolls, I don't hate them. I don't hate pizza rolls. But I remember like at vacation Bible school when I was a youth minister, we would do a meal every night. Or like at, at, no, it wasn't vacation Bible school. It was like Wednesday nights with the kids. You know, sometimes there were these ladies in the church that would like, you know, labor over like some pasta or some chicken spaghetti or like homemade chili with the Frito pies. And the kids, you know, they liked it. But then when it was pizza roll day, these kids went insane. They loved pizza rolls. So to me, it's just it just seems backwards, you know, that, that pizza rolls were the things that the kids liked the most. So I just can't get that out of my mind that it's an incredibly like juvenile thing to like. And here's the thing, pizza rolls, I've never had a pleasant experience with them because it's like magma inside. It's lava. You can't get it to the right temperature. It, it's either like frozen in the state it comes in or it's going to melt your tongue off. And there's no in between. So, and you know why the pizza, pizza might be you know the most one of the most iconic foods out there, the the food that everybody likes. Why do you have to put it in a roll form? Why can't we just why can't we just love what we have? Uh, pizza cannot really be improved upon. So therefore, we don't need to put it in a roll. So I'm choosing to can pizza rolls, but 85% of you said to keep them. Moving on to the next food, pork rinds. Which, which are pork skins, you know, deep fried, pretty trashy. 66% of you said to can them. I choose to keep them. I'm a pork rind fan. Uh, it's, it's, it's actually a pretty healthy snack. If you're into keto, pork rinds are keto friendly. They're Whole30 friendly. So when I did the Whole30 this year, uh, pork rinds were my saving grace. And I just like the taste, you know. It's not too strong. Uh, the idea of eating like fried pork skin or fat is kind of gross, but if you can get past that, I like it. I'm choosing to keep it, even though you guys chose to can it. 
Next up on the list, the closest vote from you guys. Fish sticks. 51% of you chose to can fish sticks. Why don't you like fish sticks, guys? I'm choosing to keep them because, once again, just there's... If I want fish, this is kind of like the Jack in the Box tacos. If I want fish, if I'm craving fish, I'm not going to be like, oh, fish sticks will do the job because, honestly, they don't. They they are nothing like fish. They don't taste like fish. They have a very distinct smell, very distinct taste, like nothing else. But that's that's kind of that's where they get you. You know, it's that nostalgic thing of like of like I've got a hunger, and nothing but a fish stick will satiate that hunger right now. So maybe it is trashy. Maybe it isn't good for you. Maybe there's some weird chemicals in there. But it's kind of it's kind of like the Jack in the Box tacos. When you crave that one thing, you crave it and it alone. And for that reason. I'm choosing to keep it, even though barely the majority of you said to can it. Next up on the list, hot dogs. Uh, Pretty plain and simple. 84% of you guys said to keep it. I choose to keep it too. Trashy? Nah, maybe. You know, you never really know what's in a hot dog, but I really love them. Glad you guys do too. Next up on the list, Totino's Party Pizza. And, And when I'm talking about Totino's Party Pizza, I'm talking about that cheapest frozen pizza you can possibly get. It's a pretty decent size pizza. It's 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 rectangle, of course. It's about like I don't know, eight by five, if I had to guess. And you know, it's it's a pretty pretty hearty meal, uh, even though it's just it's the fakest pizza you could possibly imagine. Like the crust takes like a communion cracker. There's those little chunks of pepperoni on there instead of pepperoni slices, and that's how you know it's real cheap. It's like a it's like eighty eight cents for 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 a whole party pizza, and sixty four percent of you said to keep it. And there was a time in my life where I would have agreed with you guys, but I'm saying to can it because there was one time is when I lived in San Angelo. I remember I went for a run at night. It was a time in my life I was really into running and I wish I could get back there again. But I went running and I came home and pretty much the only food I had was like a couple of Totino's party pizzas. So I popped one in the oven, cook it. And you know, like after you work out, you get really hungry well, I scarfed that entire thing down in like five minutes. And that was also when I was in grad school and, and I had a long night ahead of me because I was, I was going to type a paper. And I just remember sitting there at our kitchen table and I felt sick because I just scarfed. I just gone running. I scarfed down the pizza. I was writing a paper. And that was the last time. That was probably three years ago, two years ago, something like that. And that was the last time I ate a Totino's party pizza. And, and now I really can't stand the thought so I'm choosing to can it even though you guys like it you guys chose to keep it next up we've got nacho cheese and you know you're talking about nacho cheese once again not a real cheese product okay so so we're not pretending here that it's real cheese it's kind of like when people accuse like you say you like Taco Bell people are like that's not even real like I know it's not real Mexican food I didn't say it was that doesn't mean it's not good. So cheese, nacho cheese, it's not real cheese. We all know it. It comes in a can. So are we going to can it just because it comes in a can? It's a bad joke. Not even a joke, really. <laughs> but nacho cheese, 67% of you guys said to keep it. I'm going to say keep it as well. And it's kind of like the spray cheese. I could go the rest of my life and not eat nacho cheese and not even like notice. But sometimes when you're, when you're offered the chance, and I have never, ever, I don't think, sought out nacho cheese at a grocery store it's something you only get like at a baseball game with like your nachos in fact i got nachos at the baseball game i went to like a week ago and once again it wasn't like i was i was going there 
seeking after nacho cheese, but like the, the opportunity present itself. And it's just like, you know, why not? Nacho cheese is great. So 67% of you guys said to keep it. I chose to keep it as well. Next up on the list, we've got SpaghettiOs, another canned thing. So I'm not going to make the canned joke again. But SpaghettiOs, 54% of you guys said to can it. I'm going to go ahead and can it as well. I don't like spaghetti. I don't like anything marinara. And this isn't really anything like that, even though it tries to be. But SpaghettiOs just aren't good. I've never just had the craving for them. I think when I was a kid, I liked them. But I think that's just because I thought I was supposed to. But yeah, SpaghettiOs, they're nasty. I chose to can them. You guys chose to can them. Glad we can agree on that. Spam, next up on the list. This was pretty emphatic by you guys. 75% of you said to can it. I agree. We're going to can spam. You know, it's just, spam isn't good, y'all. It's weird. Nobody really knows what it is. And and I've had this conversation a lot in the past few months in my life for some reason about spam because I'm in contact very often with people who swear by spam. And I said, you know what? If I eat spam now, I don't know, fry it up. Maybe I would like it. It's just been such a long time. But I just remember not really liking it. And just the thought of it makes me not really want to try it. And uh, I should add that this that you guys chose to can this 75%. That was the most hated food on this whole list for you guys. Uh, you most emphatically chose to can spam. I agree. We're canning spam. We're getting rid of it. Next up, we have got those little breakfast things where it's like sausage and pancakes on a stick. So it looks like a corn dog, but it's a sausage in the middle, pancake batter on the outside. And there was a time in my life where I would have said to can this because I remember eating them as a kid. And I thought like, these things are gross. But when preteen camp, look, look, we're full circle. When I went to preteen camp as a sponsor, as a youth minister for the first time back in 2017, I remember that's what they were serving for breakfast that day. And I thought like, oh no, these are gross. I hate these. But it was the only thing they were offering. I was hungry, had a full day of camp ahead. So I decided, you know what, I'll just eat it. And that time in my life, like four years ago, my eyes were opened. And in fact, today was the last day of preteen camp. That's what we had for breakfast this morning. And all the memories came rushing back. Once again, it's not one of those things I seek out. Not one of those things I buy at the grocery store. But when the opportunity comes up, I can't help it. Those things are delicious. I'm choosing to keep them. And 73% of you said to keep them as well. So I'm glad you guys share the love for those. I don't even know what they're called officially. Is it breakfast on a stick? Is it breakfast corn dogs? I, I don't really know. But hey, glad you guys like them. I love them too. We both chose to keep them. And finally, on the list, number 17, we have Loft House cookies and loft house cookies are those cookies that you get at the grocery store and they're like these really soft white sugar cookies and they've got this really thick layer of icing on there and it's usually like orange or blue or yellow or something and you know a little trashy we're, we're not denying that here uh 65 of you said to keep them and i agree we're keeping them but i've met a lot of people in my life once again especially over the past few months that claim to hate these loft house cookies and whenever i get into this argument in real life the the typical thing that comes up the typical thing that people say was like oh it's just sugar and my retort to that is you say it as if though that's a bad thing you know who is opposed to just eating straight up sugar sometimes uh well actually when i was a kid um we had these little dixie cups in our bathroom and we would use them to like rinse our mouth out after we brushed our teeth but when i was a kid i would go in there and get one of those cups and i would like go into the kitchen after school 
when my mom wasn't looking and I would like fill the Dixie cup up with sugar and then I would take it in my room and kind of like in secret, I would like dip my finger in the sugar and eat it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I've, I've always liked sugar and you know, you, 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 you eat it in moderation. We're not saying that you have to eat these cookies every day, but a lot of these people that say they hate these cookies. Oh, here's another thing. Here is another thing. 65% of you said to keep them. Right, that means the majority of you like loft house cookies, even though basically all they are is sugar. Well, let me make this connection. Also, when I say I like candy corn, which I've said on the show before, it's probably been one of the most contentious things I've ever said on Not a Christian podcast. When I've said I like candy corn, that same argument comes up. Candy corn is just sugar. That's not a bad thing. Why? Why are you saying it as though it is? And and here's the thing, 65% of you, even though everybody says the Lofthouse cookies are just sugar, they say the same thing about candy corn. Only you claim to like the Lofthouse cookies, but you claim to hate candy corn. That is some next level hypocrisy, if you ask me. 65% of you said to keep it. I say keep it. Eating straight sugar isn't a bad experience. If you do it in moderation, of course. So overall, in this list of 17 trashy foods, you guys chose to keep 9 of them and can 8 of them. And I chose to keep 10 of them and can 7 of them. So I guess my taste buds are just a little trashier than y'all's. But I guess at the end of the day, that's alright. And on these matchups, we actually agreed on 8 of them. We disagreed on 9 of them. So we're making progress. Usually we vastly disagree on everything. Uh, that's why I kind of broke up with you, the collective listener, a couple weeks ago on the show when I went on my rant about ketchup. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're getting closer. We're getting closer. We disagreed more than we agreed, but one step at a time, I suppose. But hey, this is one of my, this is always one of my favorite segments to do on the show. Uh, I think it's, it's very interactive. So if you've got a category of things that you want us to do a keep it or can it segment over, uh, let me know because I think they're a lot of fun to do, a lot of fun to think through, a lot of fun to get, get y'all's feedback on. So for now, let's go ahead and transition to the closing. Hey, you guys, I'm so glad you could be here today. There are some ways in which you could be on the show in the future if you choose to participate. There are several ways, in fact. First of all, if you go to the link in my bio and you fill out the aforementioned friend of the show survey, you can enter for a chance to win two entries into the drawing of which friend of the show will get to be featured on Not a Christian Podcast. And also, I might add, even if you don't want to be a guest on the show, if you could go ahead and just go fill that out, uh, it would be really helpful. I talked about the top of the show, talking about it again, uh, because I really want you to fill it out. Thank you so much to all those who have filled it out so far. Um, if I've learned anything from that is that you guys really like tournaments, you really like rankings and tier lists and whatnot, and you really like theological stuff, which is kind of, I think, what's been our show's bread and butter. So thank you so much to everybody who's filled those out. Like I said, if you fill that out and you choose to enter into the drawing, that will get you two entries into the drawing. If you go to the link in my bio and buy a Not A Christian Podcast sticker, you will be entered three times into the drawing. If you go to the link in my bio, buy a Not A Christian Podcast t-shirt, that'll be five entries. And if you are currently or become in the future a supporter of the show, a financial supporter of the show, once again, via the link in my bio, you will be entered five times into that drawing. So 
there are plenty of ways you can submit your legacy on Not A Christian Podcast by becoming our next guest. So go ahead, do all that stuff, buy sticker, t-shirt, do the survey, become a monthly supporter, help your boy out. All those links are in my bio. And something else that I've learned from the survey is that you guys kind of want to talk about things like music and movies and TV shows a lot more, or some more, I guess. I talk about music a lot. So every now and again, or maybe even every week, I'll give you a recommendation on just what I'm into lately. And so if you need a recommendation for a new musical album, I've got one for you. This album came out on the same day as Matt Carney's new record, so admittedly I didn't listen to this for a couple weeks after it came out because I was obsessed solely with Matt Carney for like two weeks. Still am, still almost exclusively listen to that, but one of the other albums I've been listening to lately is Lord Huron's Long Lost album. Like I said, it just came out a few weeks ago, and it's really good. So so Lord Huron is, is one of my favorite artists. In fact, back in like December, I think, when I did my top 10 artists, Lord Huron made the honorable mention list. And But I think now after this new album, they would be probably somewhere in the 8 to 10 range. Really love Lord Huron. They're kind of like an alternative folksy rock band, although their new album has like some tinges of country on it. It sounds a lot like Eagles in some sense, which the Eagles are one of my favorite groups of all time. Love Lord Huron's new album. Uh, so just a few songs from that album that I would recommend you check out. For, you, you guys know me. I think sitting down and listening to an album from top to bottom in order is the best way to experience music. But if you're in a hurry, you want just a few songs to listen to, I would recommend Love Me Like You Used To, Long Lost, and 20 Long Years. That is from Lord Huron's new album, Long Lost. If you like folk music, if you like country, if you like classic rock, this has got elements of all those in there. And it's, Lord Huron is just a really unique band. So that's my recommendation of the week. Hope you check it out. I'm glad you were here for part two of our eschatology series. And next week, we'll talk about amillennialism. And the week after that, I'll tell you kind of why I believe, why I think it matters. But for now, that's all the evangelical filth I've got for you. That's a wrap and that's a frat snap. Next time, I promise I'll do just a little bit better later. <laughs>